Thank you, worship team. It was awesome this morning. Great music. Uh, for those those who are watching online or maybe new, uh, as you know, the last Sunday of every month, we do not have children's church, and we invite parents to keep their kids in here with you. And so with that, we have prepared some children's bulletins that the kids can use to uh, take notes on, very very detailed notes on just what I'm saying. I expect to be shown afterwards every little jot and tittle that I said this morning. Okay, kids? Don't just draw pictures of me with my hair sticking up in the air. You can do that too. But those, those are there for your, for your kids to take notes on or draw on, whatever, you, whatever they want to do, whatever you want to do with them. We want them to learn how to worship in big church with parents, with other adults, to learn how to sit in here. It's a I'm glad that we can do that once a month. Also, to give our children's church workers a little break once a month to be able to come in here and sit as well. Today, we're in week number four of our series in Zechariah. As we're going through the book of Zechariah, it's a we're, it's the next to last book in the Old Testament, just before the Italian prophet Malachi. So, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there now. Next to last book in the New Testament, the Old Testament rather, as we're going to be in chapter six this morning, looking at. The book of Zechariah. As you know, this first week we came together and uh, we, we looked at chapter 1, and then we looked at chapter 2, chapter 3, and we're skipping ahead to chapter 6 today. In the first week, it was all about God calling his people back to him. Hence, this, this the, the title of the series name, Go Home. He says, People, children of God, children of Israel, you've been in Babylon, time to go home and find me. I'm going to be there waiting for you, prepared a place for you. I am there. Go home and find me. Chapter 2, we talk about how God said, remind the people that he did draw near to him. That he did draw near to God. It wasn't good enough just to go home and live and sit. Like, come to church and just sitting and existing. We have to get involved and draw near to God. Experience, develop that deep relationship with God he desires for us. And we, talk about, we talk about how when we draw near to God, he draws near to us. It's important that we draw near in our relationship to Christ. And we talk about some different ways to do that. Last week we talked about how God asks us to, over, to see ourselves as he sees us. As forgiven. Forgiven. Not as Satan wants us to be or wants us to see ourselves. As those still struggling with sin every single day. Beating ourselves over, over it. Yes, we sin. Yes, we still struggle with it. But we need to see ourselves as God sees us. Forgiven. Do we still mess up? Of course. What do we do when we mess up? We go back to God. And we let him fill us again with his Holy Spirit so we can experience his forgiveness again. Today we're going to look at chapter 6 as God reminds us to obey the voice of God. He reminds us to obey his voice. Literally, we're talking about catching the wind. Catching the wind this morning. Let the Holy Spirit fill us. Learn to be led by the Holy Spirit. Letting his spirit lead us as we learn to obey his voice. See, in this time of, of Israel coming back, of the nation of Israel coming back to the land of Israel, they came back to a temple that was destroyed. They came back to walls that were destroyed. And God said, why is my temple still destroyed? Why have, you not, why have you abandoned the work that you're supposed to be doing on my temple? Why have you not built it back up again to create a place for me to come and live, to create a place for me to come and worship? In God's eyes and God's mind, worship of Him is the most important thing we can ever offer. We come here on Sunday mornings, not for coffee and donuts, but praise God for those who bring coffee and donuts. <laughs> the vitamins, we call them. 
We come here not just to fellowship and hang out with each other, not just to see the joys on kids' faces as they run around, not just to see, hear awesome music and mediocre preaching. We come here to worship God. We come here to bring Him the praise and glory and honor that He deserves, He and He alone deserves. I've said it many times, He's not just some statue on the mantle of our house. He's not just some picture on a wall or a piece of jewelry we put around our neck or hang from our ears. He is the Lord God Almighty. And He deserves our worship with every ounce and every strength of being that we have. We need to learn to obey His voice. Here we see the exiles returning to Israel. As I said, only to find the land was devastated. They were discouraged, but they had been depressed. However, in their return, they're also to be reminded of the grace and mercy of God. They could have been stuck in Babylon forever. And they were in Egypt for how many years? 400 years. They've been in the land of Egypt. I'm sure that when they were there as slaves under Pharaoh, they were like, God, do you really hear us? I mean, think, there's at least four or five generations, six generations of Hebrews that had come and gone, come and gone, come and gone. And they had to be wondering themselves, is there really a God out there? So God brought up and raised up Moses to lead them out. And after 70 years in the land of Babylon, God said, I, I still remember you. I still see you. I've not abandoned you. I'm bringing you back to the land. His grace and his mercy. Even in that far land, far away, where they've been taken as slaves, been removed from the, their homeland, God remembered them. God saw them. See, there is no place too far from God that we can go. We will never be out of his sight. We can never drift far enough away that God doesn't see us. There's no mountain high enough. There's no valley deep enough where God does not see us in our joy, in our distress, in our struggles, and whatever we're going through. It's all he's there. We can't get away. We try to. We try to go back in our little rooms and maybe close ourselves off in a little closet and Get on our phones, we're only, only we can see what we're doing. No, God sees exactly what we're doing. He hears our voices. He knows our thoughts. We cannot hide from God. And he's reminded the Israelites too, you, even when you were in Babylon, I was there. Even when you were far away from me, I was there looking over you and watching out for you. And I remembered to bring you back after 70 years. That was a time that had already been set up. They already knew that for seven years God was going to bring them back. That's what he had told them. But yet you had to, they had to be wondering too. Does he remember? In the passage we're going to look at this morning, and remember Zechariah is kind of an apocalyptic book. There's a lot of the prophecies in there refer to future times, future events that haven't taken place yet. Uh, some that uh, took place during that time, some that took place during the life of Jesus, and some that have a, a triple meaning that takes place in the future as well. When Christ comes back and sits on the throne. So as you look at that some more, kind of keep that in mind. In the first eight verses here, we're not going to read through them. I just want to go through that a little bit. It tells us those four horses and chariots that are representing the judgment of God on the nations around them, on the nations around Israel. God sends the first two up to Babylon. He sends another one down to south to Egypt to, to find out what's going on, to, to bring judgment on. But the fourth one, it doesn't tell us exactly where he goes, but it 
leads us to think that he also goes up into Babylon area, up in that region of the world. And when they come back from bringing judgment on those nations, again, Scripture doesn't tell us exactly what happens or what they do. When they come back, I love verse 8. It says, Behold, those who go toward the north country have set my spirit at rest. The north country is Babylon. What would set God's spirit at rest? What would, it, what would bring joy to God's heart in Babylon? Seeing the people come back. Seeing the people of God come back to the land. Seeing God's people being restored to the land once again so his temple can be rebuilt, so the walls can be rebuilt, so his people can find peace in him. It says that his spirit is restored so that Israel could find its hope once again in him. They weren't, gonna, they weren't to find hope in their freedom. They weren't to find hope in their crops or in being back in the land. They weren't to find hope in the walls even being rebuilt or the temple being rebuilt. They were to find their hope in him. He brings them back specifically so they can be restored in their relationship with him again. Then the rest of the chapter that we're going to look at here closely sets out to show us just how the Old Testament narrative and the prophecies there all point to Jesus. Remember the Old Testament, all the stories in there, all the prophecies, they're there to point us to the coming Messiah. They're there to point the people of Israel and to us back to the Messiah who is going to come in the future. They're there, all the prophecies point to Jesus. The narrative and the stories point to Jesus. All that's there is there to point to people who say the Messiah is coming. Don't miss it. The Messiah is coming. And we know they missed it. Because we know the rest of the story. So verse 9. Follow with me in verse 9. As we look at how God's wrath was satisfied. It says, And the word of the Lord came to me. Zechariah is writing. The word of the Lord came to me. It says, Take from the exiles, Heldai, Tobijah, and Jediah, who lived, who arrived from Babylon, and go the same day to the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah, and take from them the silver and gold, and make a crown, and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Here, from verse 8 through verse 11 here, we see how God's spirit, his wrath, has been satisfied. Because of what the chariots went up and they reported back to God what has gone on. Judgment has taken place. The wrath of God has been satisfied on the nations. His wrath against Israel has been satisfied as well. They've now come back to the land or are coming back to the land in shifts. They're coming back to the land and he says, now go and collect gold and silver from these three or four houses so that you can make a crown to put on Joshua's head. And typically, in Israel, there had never been a priest and king in the same person. You'd have priests in the temple, you'd have prophets, and you'd have kings. You'd never had the two together. So when he tells them to go and make a, a, a crown for Joshua and set Joshua the high priest up as king over Israel, it's, it's really laying out groundwork and a picture of us of what is to come in the person of Jesus. 
who is our high priest, who is our king, and wants to be the king of Israel as well. And Israel missed it. Remember, when the Messiah, they expected the Messiah to come as three individuals, a prophet, priest, and king, basically. They thought that the Messiah was going to come as this warrior king who was going to come in and he was going to conquer the Romans, conquer all their enemies, kick them out, and set up his throne. And then there was also going to be another Messiah who was going to come who was going to be the priest, and he was going to lead them in worship. And a prophet was going to come and proclaim the word of God. We know from reading in scripture that Jesus embodied all three of those. Jesus the Messiah was the prophet, priest, and king. And so in this prophecy, in this vision that Zechariah has, it's laying the groundwork and setting the imagery out there for the Jews to see it, if they but look for it. You ever look at the discipline of God? We're talking about how God's wrath is satisfied. And we know from looking at Scripture that His wrath was satisfied on the cross. Did you ever look at the discipline of God and wonder how could God do some of those things to His people? How could He send them away? How could He send nations in to hurt them? To send raiders in to destroy their land or to take over their crops? Or you ever wonder... Does it ever bother anybody? It has, it did for me for a while, I'll be honest. I kind of wondered, God, what, what are you doing? And are you going to, then, are you going to do the same to me? That, that's really what my fear was. I didn't really care what he did to Israel. Oh, they were bad, yeah. Look what they did all those years. But God, if you did that to your people, what about me? How, what lengths are you willing to go in my life to draw me into the relationship with you that, you that he wants? See, God is not about our happiness. I'm sorry to say. God is not about your happiness. Starbucks is about your happiness. They want you to be happy with the coffee. Because we all know that's where happiness is here in this world. God is not about your happiness. He is about your personal holiness. He wants you to come be in such a line with him that when people see you, when they hear you, when they walk with you, that you're like a sponge that when it gets poked and Jesus pops out, right? So when you're walking and talking with somebody, it's just going to be a natural part of your conversation. It's going to be a natural part of who you are, that Jesus just pops out and becomes a part of what's going on in the room right there. Whether it's music or jokes or conversation or driving down the road in Uber, whatever it may be, Jesus pops out. See, Israel had rejected God. We've talked about this before. Israel had rejected God for hundreds of years. And he had delayed his judgment. He delayed his discipline, delayed his judgment, delayed his discipline. Until finally, in his timing, he removes them and sends them to Babylon. And now in bringing them back, he's extending an opportunity for them to find him once again. Even though he was there in Babylon, but in Babylon is where the Jewish people set up start, began setting up their synagogues. You know, here in, in 2021, we know there's synagogues all over the place. But back then, there was no synagogue. There was just the temple. And if people wanted to worship God, they had to go to the temple. In Babylon is where they first began setting up their synagogues because they wanted to preserve the worship of the Lord God Almighty and to continue teaching their kids about God. 
So God, in bringing them back to land, is setting up an opportunity for his people to find him and follow him. And that's what he continually does with us as well. He creates opportunities for us to find him and deepen their relationship with him. In verse 11, we see that God's wrath has been satisfied. The people have returned with, with wealth in their hand to the land because they're, they're going, Joshua's now going and collecting the gold and silver that they brought back with them. Not like gobs and gobs of wealth, but they brought back some of the precious things they'd taken with them to Babylon so they could now rebuild the temple with it. And Zechariah is commanded to take that gold and give it to Joshua. The high priest, the king. So he can oversee the worship of land, the worship of God in that land. God was pleased. Secondly, we see this message of redemption and grace. It's in the next couple of verses, in verses 12 through 14, where we see Jesus as the branch, named as the brancher. And this, this passage here is very clear prophetic message of the coming Messiah. Listen to what it says here in verse 12. It says, And say to him, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold the man whose name is the branch. For he shall branch out from his place. He shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord. And he shall bear royal honor and shall sit and rule on his throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne. And the council of peace shall be between them both. Never before with the Jewish people has there been a king and a priest sitting on the throne. It was just not done. He gives them renewed hope as this, this person who's called the branch is going to come and do some great things. He's going to come and do some awesome things. He's, come, he's known as the Ruth Jesse. He's going to come restore the glory of God in that land. This branch, this root of Jesse. Look at the four things he's going to do. First of all, he's going to rebuild the temple. He's going to rebuild the temple to bring worship back to the land. To bring worship of the temple back to the land. To create a place so God's people could come and worship. To bring their offerings, to bring their tithes, to bring their worship. To come together to raise their kids and teach their kids about God. Secondly, this person, the branch, will be clothed in majesty and glory. He's going to be clothed in majesty and glory. In Revelation, you see this image of Jesus clothed in white, sitting on a horse with a sword in his hands, and his majesty and his glory just shines out. In the Old Testament, whenever you see the angel of the Lord, who is Jesus pre-incarnate before he was ever ever born into this world it is the angel of the Lord that appears to, to others in the Old Testament and he's, he's clothed in glory clothed in his white robes causes people to shy away thirdly he's going to be sit and rule on the throne as a priest not only is he going to sit on the throne as a king he's going to be our priest interceding between the people and God no longer, praise God, no longer do we have to go through 
another individual to intercede on our behalf. Jesus is our high priest. We don't have to go and confess to another person and get absolved of our sins by any other individual. Jesus is our high priest. We go directly to God. We don't have to go through any other intermediary. Jesus is the only intermediary we need. And he fulfilled that, secured that for us on the cross of Jesus. Cross 2,000 years ago. He's going to sit and rule on the throne as our priest. And lastly, he's going, to re- he's going to unite the role of priest and king, creating this peaceful council between the two of them, the scripture says. Creating this peace of God because the two of them are one. No longer is this the, the dichotomy. They are one. And we see this in the person of Jesus, the branch. This peace that passes understanding. No longer this division that people are looking for. They shouldn't find it all in one. Jesus is everything that we need. The Messiah is everything that we need. There is no other person. Those promises were fulfilled during Joshua's time in him. And parts of it away fulfilled. Future fulfillment as well. In fact, we're not going to see ultimate fulfillment of this until the millennial kingdom when Jesus sits literally on the throne in Jerusalem. During that millennial kingdom, after we're all gone from here, we get to sit up and watch what God's going to do in this world as he's going to recreate this new heaven and new earth and set up his throne in Jerusalem and sit on the throne himself as prophet, priest, and king. And all, all those in the world will have to be able to bow their knees to him. Because he deserves it. I'm glad we get to witness that. It's going to be awesome to see the fulfillment of God's prophecies. We get to see him over and over. Here in, in, in that time, a couple thousand years ago, God selected these hand, these, God selected men to collect the gold and silver from them so they might make this crown to sit on Joshua's head. And then later on, they were going to take that crown and set it in the temple as a memorial so people can look back and remember what God did for the people. Remember earlier, other memorials. In the Ark of the Covenant, God placed Aaron's rod that invited. He placed pieces of the, the, the Ten Commandments. And he placed some manna. As the children of Israel traveled into Israel, he, they took 12 stones out of the Jordan River and placed them on the other side and made an, made an altar there. So that in the future times, when the kids came by with their parents, Dad, what's this stones here for? The dads can tell the kids, this is what God did for us here at this location. Other places where the memorials were given, there were wells, there were cities, there were mountains, other places where God's name has been lifted up, memorials are given. We even have those here today. We have statues, Mount Rushmore, Places we go, we remember what men and women have done in our country. Here, this crown has been placed in the temple so the people can be pointed back to the work of God, the great work of God. Lastly, verse 15, the people are reminded to obey the voice of God, to obey the voice of God. Verse 15 says, And those who are far off shall come and help build the temple of the Lord. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And this shall come to pass 
if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. Reminds me of other times in Scripture, in Deuteronomy and other places. God says, I want to bless you. I want to have, I want to see great things happen to you as a nation, as a people. I want to see, I want to pour out my blessings upon you. If you diligently obey me, if you diligently follow me, if you go your own way, I can't bless you. If you go and do your own thing, I can't bless you like I want to. Listen to my voice. Obey my words. Essentially, he says, remember and do better. Remember and do better. Remember the past. Remember the failures of your ancestors. Remember why they got sent into exile in the first place. Remember the hundreds of years that I held off my discipline. And then they got sent into exile. Remember what happened and do better. God says the same thing to us today. I'm ashamed of my past. I'm ashamed of some of the things I've done and said in, in, in my past. I'm ashamed of how I've neglected my relationship with God. I'm ashamed of how I've sometimes neglected my relationship with my family. And I've said other things that, that I desire to do aside before them and before my relationship with God. And God says, remember and do better. Listen to my voice. Obey my words. Sometime back, the story goes that there was a group of friends at a retreat near a lake. And on the banks of the lake, there was an old sailboat. It had been abandoned, unused for a while. And on the first evening, two, two of the friends were talking. And they said, uh, John asked them, what would you do this afternoon? Paul answers, I took that little sailboat out there for a ride on the lake. Uh, John I, I said, I never figured, I figured nobody ever took that thing out. Do you have any trouble? Well, no, no, I didn't have any trouble at all. John says, but the wind was barely blowing. How'd you even get it out of the, away from the dock? And Paul smiled and says, my friends and I have some experience with sailboats. I know how to trim the sails to catch the breeze. He said, if you know how to catch the wind, there's almost always enough to sail. See, with the Holy Spirit, there's almost always, there's always enough of him to keep the wind in our sails, to keep us moving forward in our spiritual lives. If we but listen and pay attention, we blame God when we get into a spiritual funk, we like to blame our, our families when we get into a funk. We like to blame everybody but us when we get into a spiritual funk. But if we look, there's always enough wind. We hear the voice of God. There's always enough wind for us to keep on our spiritual Amen. That was the message that God was telling to this right here. If you diligently obey my voice, Trim your sails. If you diligently obey my voice, I will be with you. And I will be your God. And I will bring blessings upon blessings upon blessings upon you. So how do we keep our sails trimmed? How do we keep our minds focused on God? 
Understand, first of all, that God's wrath was satisfied in Jesus. That your sin is no longer, can no longer be held against you. If you are a child of God, his wrath against you is satisfied by the person of Jesus. As Jesus hung there on the cross. Jesus, the branch, is building his kingdom right now. And wants you to be a part of building that kingdom. And the Holy Spirit, as it guides our daily live our, live our lives, such a way that God is honored through our speech, our thoughts, and our actions. So how do we listen to the Holy Spirit? How do we trim our sails in such a way that we stay in this mood? First of all, you obey the book. You obey the book of the Spirit. You read it. You obey it. You follow it. You daily spend time in it. This is so much better than a Stephen King novel. So much better than Hunger Games. So much better than whatever other novel you're reading right now. This is the Word of God. It's His love letter to you and I. He desires for us to understand His mind so He gave it to us. So first of all, spend, open the book, spend time in, in, in His book. Secondly, surrender each day. Surrender each day to filling the control of the Holy Spirit. When you wake up in the morning, before you turn on, open up Facebook, before you go and get your first cup of coffee, before you start your day, you surrender control of your day to Jesus, to his Holy Spirit. Say, God, whatever you want me to do today, whoever you want me to talk to today, whatever you want me to say and do and go, I surrender it to you. Not my will, but his will. Lastly, you stay connected to the family of God. You stay connected to the family of God. This meeting we do here on Sunday mornings, it's not just to get together. It's vital to our walk as believers. It's vital to our growth as the children of God. It's vital that we come together on a regular basis and stay connected. Even during the summertime, when everybody wants to go and go camping and be involved in what's going on around us and go to games. And it's vital that we stay connected to the family of God. This morning, as we finish up, go ahead and have Karis come on up and prepare to lead us in the final song. I'm going to ask you, where are you in, in trouble yourselves? Or are you in catching the wind of the Holy Spirit? Are you spending time in God's Word like you should be? We're almost halfway through the year. Almost halfway through the year, you know, back in January, we passed out reading guides to everybody. How's everybody's daily reading going? If you forgot to read, it's okay. Start again. If you forgot to get back, if you forgot to that this Bible is to be part of your life, it's okay. Start again. <clears throat> There's no place to just fail and turn over. Where are you in surrendering your life every day to God's Holy Spirit and letting Him control you all? Maybe you need to surrender it today. Maybe you need to say, God, I need a deep relationship with you. I need to surrender my life to you. Let your Holy Spirit reign and rule in my life. 
Or maybe you, in your own walk, you said, no, church is just in that part. Isn't that important? This fellowship of believers is not that important. I can get, take it or leave it. It's vital. It's vital, not just because we want to fill the seats. It's vital that we come together as children of God and stay connected to the family of God. Everybody, you're going to close your eyes. And I don't know where you are this morning in your walk with Christ. I'm asking you just to confess quietly to God that area of your life that is lacking, that area that's keeping you from keeping your sales trimmed as they should be. Take a couple minutes and just pray. Jesus, this morning as we come before you to lift up your name and glorify you, to bring you praise and glory. We acknowledge, Lord God, that you are prophet, priest, and king, ruling over our lives, requiring and demanding holiness, lives that are honoring to you. I pray, Father God, that this morning, that we would be drawn once again to your holy book, to your love letter, and we would commit to spending time in it every single day. But we would surrender our lives to you every morning to go, to do, to say, to speak, to whatever you'd have us to do. We surrender our will to your will. this morning also, Father God, we ask that you would rekindle within us a passion for your people, a passion to come together corporately to worship you, to not see this as something that we have to do, but coming to church on Sunday and coming to Bible studies and getting together throughout the week is something we desire to do because we long for fellowship with those who are like-minded, those who we're on the journey with those that we struggle with, the ones that we can learn from. Lord, this place is important. That's why you had that temple built first. You didn't build the walls first, you built the temple. It's a place for the people of God to come back to, to worship. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have redeemed us, that in Christ your wrath was satisfied, the penalty of my sin you took upon yourself. Today, Father God, let us honor you with all that we do and say. In Jesus' name I pray.